Welcome to the Edge of NFT podcast with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. We aim to bring you not only the top 1% of what's going on with NFTs today, but what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts in the business side, but also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way that we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the futurists and the dreamers, the disruptors and the creators, the fans and connectors and the makers and the doers that are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. And today's episode features guest Keith Montgomery on our inaugural recording of this podcast. Keith Montgomery is a serial entrepreneur and specialist in digital assets and next-gen technology. He's deeply involved in several blockchain and NFT-related initiatives within music, art, business, and beyond. He has co-founded several tech companies focused on digital assets, AI, blockchain, cloud, cybersecurity, and enterprise transformation. Beyond startups, Keith has worked with Fortune 500s and top global organizations like Disney, Cisco, and McGraw-Hill. Keith uses his mathematical mind and linguistic strategies to set powerful visions, build high-performance team, and has led initiatives and digital transformations in entertainment, commercial banks, manufacturing, logistics, and professional services organizations. In addition to his professional pursuits, Keith speaks multiple languages, working with teams in Asia, Europe, the Middle East, and the Americas. Keith, what a what an incredible pedigree you have. Welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, guys. So what is on top of your mind on NFTs this very day? Well, I like that you guys talked about the test of time. You know, I've always heard that in my family about, you know, something, lots of people will come to town, things will sound good. It, for a while, it sounds great. But what's on the top of my mind is, how do we get to what's the real meat of what is valuable here with the blockchain, with NFTs, and what's kind of this hype? So on the top of my mind is always, how do I continually strip away at what might be hiding something really great and valuable to a person financially, but as well to society in general to really move it forward. I think I've been blessed with being able to work with people in this type of space and arena that are competent and capable. So when I look over and ask them, okay, so what's next? I can get a pretty substantive answer. Where are you seeing in terms of that value, man? Like, Where do you see today in the ecosystem this value cropping up? So NFTs, I think, are very misunderstood. And I wouldn't even say I understand everything about them because uh, it's moving so quickly. I can't believe how fast, Jeff, things have moved in this space. I, I expected us to be a year from now where we were a month ago. And I usually, I can predict futures usually. I have that thing about me where I'm always playing that game in my head. So what I think is happening is people are going to realize there are certain things that you can get for free. And that is going to be like, I, I can give you stories of cousins who have these cute, you know, these cute stuffed animals in their house, like 500 of them called Beanie Babies, and they can't sell them, right? They have like 500 of them. It's like, you look, go in the house, you're like, what, what is this? Well, it's a testimony to, I don't want to do this again kind of thing. And so that's one aspect where I, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough where, you know, the mathematician side of me. Uh, it's not like I'm the super mathematician out there, but I was trained to do these things called theorems. And so you can go from point to point to point using logic. And if something doesn't hold water, right? Well, then you can't drink out of it. You can't actually get some utility out of it. So 
a lot of times what I'm seeing is, you know, some things look like they could be good experiences and grow into good experiences. But for the most part, other things just look like someone's grabbing it very quickly. They're doing the beady baby thing. And that's, that's not as interesting to me, except for the fact that I'm watching what might come out of that, that actually could be valuable. But what is interesting is the physical world connecting with the digital world. That excites me because I mean, you guys know this, we're doing this right now. We're not in the same room. I mean, think about 20 years ago. Could we have pulled this off? No. Right? This, is, like this. this is digital transformation, right? This and then is when back you, to the future, man. That's what I always totally think when I'm on a Zoom call with somebody and they're complaining about the signal. Like, I remember watching Back to the Future and that was like, whoa, what if we could do that? Yeah. And have video phone calls. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, last year, I can't tell you how many times on WhatsApp, right, which was newer to me last year because I wasn't necessarily part of that whole group. But all of a sudden, I'm having calls with Egypt, uh, Dubai, Africa, Panama, China, all at once on one call. And and that that is an enablement that wasn't before. I mean, you remember how you got like, okay, we're going to make a long distance call, everybody. Uh, you got a long distance card. You have something you want to be able to do. That wasn't that long ago, guys. Yeah, we are moving toward from the physical to the, the, the digital world, right? I think the immediate use cases that are coming is centralized elements like DMV and how you keep track of, of your house and title, right? Those have been centralized to this point and they've worked fairly well because the thing that I'm getting very interested in is when someone says they own something, what the heck does that mean? And I'm realizing more and more no one really understands that. And the more I dig into it, I'm trying to understand it more and more. So what I'm saying here is in this digital transformation that human beings have gone through, how hard has it been to buy a house in the past? The thick paper, the work that you had to go through, all that process for the title and the chain and the cloud on, you know, on, on title, et cetera. Now we can take these physical objects in life that have value that you say you own Again, let's just put that aside for a second. What does ownership mean? But you say you own and you have some ability to say, I can now sell this and I can sell this in a marketplace where someone can actually believe that. And if you've ever been in an import export world, you understand trying to believe someone, say they own something, that they have the right to sell something, the right to buy something, et cetera. That is not as easy thing when it comes to cross border, let alone interstate in the United States to be able to do that. So just like that WhatsApp call that is so easy now, in the very, very near future, it's going to be very easy for to make my, take my comic book collection. I mean, I sound nerdy in this way, but to take things that were once just kind of hanging out there that I had to go to like a comic book store and find out what they'd give to me or maybe Comic-Con. And now I have a marketplace for that physical object. If I can show, again, the physical object can now be represented in the digital space. So to be clear, I see NFTs as licenses. I don't see them as some digital artwork. I don't see them as even the data that gets held on there because we can go into the technical components about how that can be tricky too, but I see them as a license and an opportunity for people, I was gonna say humankind, people to say, wow, what do I really own? And what can I do with this ownership? And more importantly, how does the system, the capitalistic system free me up to do whatever I want with it as long as I'm not breaking the law? So what happens to NBA top shots, yeah. <clears throat> you know? 
Yeah, um, I, I'm not going to be able to predict what happens to it, but I can tell you that you know I think it's an interesting experience. It has an interesting experience for a fan, and so my hope is that they understand that the Top Shot card, if you will, isn't the end all. That they can add to things to that, so there's a deeper uh, you know involvement with community and the experience. And now it's not about this card that I can see, you know, I love LeBron James, for example, see him do his great layups. I can see that on YouTube for free. And I can see a lot more, right? I'm not paying $200,000 for, for that thing, but maybe people will pay $200,000 for that experience. But I, I want to be clear. I, do I see it as a bubble? I don't know. But a friend of mine said, even the average top shots for like the, you know, the nice uh, cards, he could get courtside seats for the year, most expensive group, one of the most expensive group, Lakers, take as many selfies, selfies as he wants with videos because he owns it for himself. He's not necessarily putting it out there, right? And that's his experience. So he can get an incredible experience. And, and I said, well, that's interesting. But what if you live on the other side of the United States? And said, actually, I function in how much it would cost with it's back and forth and still just one of those top shots that you're trying to buy. You could have that. So he was basically saying, don't argue this experience thing with me. Okay. I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a really good point. It's a very scientific way to look at it, right? You're looking at, okay, what are the attributes here? How do we value yeah. these attributes? How does that relate to the output, right? Yeah. You know, there are a couple of sites that track all of the ownership for top shots, right? Yeah. So you can look at, it's all on the blockchain, right? It's totally public. Yes. Uh, and this guy, uh, I think the number one is called uh, Whale Vault One. And he has almost 10,000 moments within Top Shots. And it is total value. Almost everything, by the way, was gifted. In other words, like he bought the original thing for nine bucks. $66 million worth of wow. Top Shots. So from September, which is, you know, September, October when it launched, right. you know, to now, five, six months, uh, this guy went from probably putting in $25,000, $30,000 into this to a current value of $66 million. That is insane. It, insane is the right word, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I, want, I, I, like the, I like the topic that you brought up. Maybe it's a little bit too vague, but I'm interested in the sort of conceptual aspects of NFTs. And you said, what does it mean to really own something? I think that's a really excellent question to ask. And maybe yeah. people aren't even asking it. I specifically remember one day I was like a young college kid driving down a road in a rural area and there was a big plot of land with green grass over there, you know, and it was just totally empty, you know, and there was a sign that said, you know, private property, no trespassing. And I, I don't know, I just, I was like, I'm going to walk over, I'm going to lay in the grass. This is beautiful, you know this is, this is, this person now has a right to say, you can't come on this grass, even if I'm not here, I'm not using it. Um, and I've had similar experiences, you know, where people kind of owning pieces of the, the real world, right? Now, question is, in some senses, that sound, can sound just as silly as owning pieces of the digital world, right? Oh, I own this grass or whatever, right? And I'm not using it, or I'm not doing anything with it. What does that mean? So yeah, well, how do you think about what does it mean to own something? Both like, why do people want to own something? And how is it different from, from kind of any, you know, how, how are we as humans able to, to say that, right? We, it's, it's a territorial thing if you take it down to biology, right? I have been grilled 
for many of ours from one of my friends, Vinay Gupta, founder of Materium. You know, he really helped me understand this concept in a way that I've never thought about it. Because when you say you own something, so let's take a couple steps back, right? Have you guys ever known someone to be in a country where all of their wealth and their property were just taken away and they were pretty much kicked out or they, they had to start over? You've, you've known someone Indeed. like that, right? Indeed. Yeah, yeah stories, where yeah. at the snap of the fingers, the previous definition of ownership goes away and there's a new definition or a new, a new person makes that decision. A new person makes that decision. Yes. It's usually about redistribution of wealth to uh, people who want your wealth or want whatever it is. <laughs> right. But, but let's, um, let's get really focused on this idea of ownership. So when people say that they believe they own something like the water I was just drinking, do I own that water? Do I own the glass? It, this isn't a philosophical discussion. This is actually a mechanical or a mechanics discussion. And if you think about it, I'll, I'll put it back on you guys because I got grilled. I'm not going to make you guys go through hours and hours because I will get to the punchline about where ownership really comes to play and why, why NFTs, I think, are going to have a major role in this. But when you say, let's say some, you have something, um, you guys uh, collect comics or you collect, do you have something, a car? Do you own a car? Do you own something? Car. Yeah. So who wants to play? Like in I want to play. I just, just got a car. Give me Ethan's car. Let's put it up. <laughs> we just bought like a cheap uh, 2006 Prius to drive our son to daycare, you know, five days a week. How do you know you own that? What, what makes you own that? Right. There's a system of, of third parties, really, that are sort of verifying that, that we own that. The government has a document. There's a title. We had to sign it. You had to go register it at the DMV. Yeah, I don't know if the license plate necessarily says you own it, but uh, once you start acquiring other things like that license plate or even making it your own, you're like, you know, getting mats to go on the floors. Once you start to do things with it, it, it sort of also increases that sense of ownership. So it's a, a sense as well as there's some kind of evidence that tells the world, I there's, own this. this yeah, there's third, party, there's third party evidence, but like one of the things that I'm thinking about that happens sometimes is like squatters rights, right? Like they'll have uh, hmm. in cities, sometimes they'll have these areas that are down in the dumps and they'll literally adapt the law so that if you just move into a vacant house, but you fix it up, you know, and it becomes a productive piece of the, the environment, then, then you own it. And whoever just left it vacant and, you know, whatever defaulted on their taxes or whatever happened, um, they don't, you know, so there's, there's that piece of it. There's a, there's a sort of a stewardship that sometimes is, is part of claiming ownership of something. So let's take a scenario. Someone comes in, says, because you, you're saying this Prius is mine, right? And you're saying, like a two-year-old, right? This is mine. I own this. And then someone comes in and says, nope, I'm taking this and I'm, I'm taking it away from you. I'm, I've got the keys and now I'm driving it. And you're like, wait, that's mine. Well, you're not inside the car. They're like, you're not inside the car. I'm inside the car. I'm driving. I got the keys. So what makes it yours, mine, kind of like yours, and not that other person's. What really makes it that case? The things that are coming into mind are the investment of 
of my my currency that I earned through working and contributing to society by taking that and trading it for the car. And also, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that it keeps coming back to me is the, the third party, the government who has the police force and the guns are there to enforce the documentation that says I own it. Well, he also has a title that's connected to his VIN number, which is a unique VIN number on his car that no other car has. So lots of evidence, right? Great. But back to the point, what Ethan was saying is there is a nation state or some form of government body that would enforce it, right? So we're going down the road here. How does the government body enforce it? You say, nope, that's mine. And I'm taking you to court. Because the court system is representative of that body that has the power to enforce mine. Now, that's what's important here. When you have the evidence that you were just talking about, and you have a system in which can have a judicial system that can say, yeah, you took us there and we confirm, give the man back his keys. That's his. So, so that's the, uh, that's the scenario here that if you want to hear what's on top of my mind, Jeff, what is really yours and how do we start to ascribe this in a system? Just like I was talking about WhatsApp, we make it so easy because what's happened is we also have a system where judges and courts are really expensive to go through. So it doesn't pay to try to go to the court. What if you could create a system? that has very little friction, has a lot of evidence. We call it, we call it the, the asset passport thing is its own sovereign entity and is part of other sovereign entities and has relationships, right? But can travel just like that phone call. It can travel as you were saying, Josh, Switzerland, you wanna s- send something to someone, you can, and it was yours and now it is theirs. And there is an international body of courts that will recognize it as such. And you don't have to go because you have other kinds of mechanisms that allow you to, to take care of that in a frictionless manner. Now that gets exciting guys. That's much more than a WhatsApp call with five countries on the line. So that's, and that's regardless of the discussion we were having before, is there intrinsic value? Is there extrinsic value, functional value to this thing or not? Do I just love looking at this, you know, $69 $69 million, you know, Beeple image, right? Like whatever, right? Like that, that's, that's independent of this uh, topic that you're discussing here, right? It's, it's the, the, own, the own actual ownership and, and what is the mechanism by which we all agree that that uh, exists? Yeah. I think the really exciting things going on here is it's enabling a world of decentralized finance. We call it DeFi, as you know, and it's enabling this world where things can travel and people can start to actually understand the utility of mine. Right. And that's in some, in some senses, irrespective of the actual value of it. And that's up to the parties who want to claim it as theirs to decide how much it is worth and anything on the planet or in the digital space, it's all, it's more valuable to some people and less valuable to others. Like it's never going to have a fixed value to just to, to every single person. Yeah, that that again, that's the silly talk. It's like, what is this? What's water worth to a person who's dying for water in the desert? Every bit of if they were a multi-billionaire, all their billions. 
what's the last few minutes of a person's life if they can get whatever research, you know, research done and they can get another 10 years of life, all their wealth, wealth transfer overnight. So yeah, we could have arguments around what something's worth and not. That's what I love about free systems. Yes, there's going to be a lot of churn. There's going to be a lot of bubbles. Uh, the cousin with the beanie babies, sorry, right? People with top shots that can't sell it. Okay. But it's part of a system that can work its own kinks out, I believe. And if we get caught up in those arguments, uh, trying to argue, you know, uh, it's like telling a teenager, why'd you pay that for that? Well, because it was my money. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, like, what am I going to argue? Why would I argue with that? that? That's like, it's like, it's a silly waste of time, I believe. But the real thing that I was saying was going on is how do you now apply? And that's what I get excited about. I was that kind of mathematician where it's like, you apply everything. You don't just theorize and say, well, theoretically, you can own this and what mine means. No, no, no. Now, what do we do? We have houses, we have DMV. Can those be put on there? Sure. Dubai in 2018, they were talking about how they're putting everything on the blockchain. There's all kinds of exciting things that are happening at the state and the city, et cetera, level. But how about the people level? And the innovations that are happening are blowing my mind in some ways. But I think also the long haul, the test of time is the physical and the digital world are going to call to each other. And we're going to have a real sense of reference, ownership, and ability to com have commerce across borders. I mean, doesn't that excite you? It excites me just talking about it. <laughs> like yeah, that's, making, that, that you know, quote is speech, going you know, on the, like, in the, awesome. promo, the promo feed, yeah. So Keith, what, what has to happen for all this to come together? You probably saw uh, the story about Nike and what they're doing with unique NFT shoes and everything. I mean, Nike is a global company. Yeah. Does this leadership come from a company like Nike or Apple or Tesla that's selling product across multiple countries? If not, where does this come from and how long does it take for us to sort of get this done? Josh, I love your question. It's yes and, right? Sure, you have the Teslas accepting Bitcoin now and, and people putting things that are out there um, like Nike and your artists that are, are having success. My answer to this has been only the one that I've come to with my evolution in my life. I'm not saying I'm the end all person, but I believe very much in the jobs quote of be the change you want to see. Model the behavior, get involved with the projects, help the people that you believe will be part of the architecture, the grand architecture that you're asking about that would facilitate and enable these systems. And that's what I'm doing. Right. And if there's a better way and you could tell me it was a better way, I would do that because <laughs> to me, if you don't model the behavior and create models that are functioning, that people are like, I like this better than the current system and regulators aren't going, hey, you're not cheating John Q public. This is cool. All right. Right. It doesn't mean break the rules. Rules are there in some good ways. Right. We don't crash into each other in the highways for reasons of rules. So there are some good rules, but other ones are going to be very, very outdated. So that architecture needs to be, I, I call it the adults in the room. You need to have people who have enough scars on their back to understand that theoretically software is supposed to work until you go into enterprise software and you realize 
I need security, I need access, I need to be able to protect things, I need to drop things back, et cetera, all those different things. So my answer is model the behavior you want, be involved with the things that you see could support this and create an overall architecture that enables more and more innovation to happen, right? The things that we will never ever be able to think of right now. On that note of being what being what you want to see, yes. um, I know we're not gonna talk about any specific project here that you're working on, but I'm curious if there's anything you can share about the type of projects that you're likely to be involved with. Um, yeah, there's a couple I can talk about now, but I'm not gonna go in depth. I'd rather you have the people on themselves that are like running them. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Materium is definitely one we did announce a global uh, alliance and a partnership with. Uh, you're going to see them go like that because I believe what they're what they're doing is is going to be um, fundamental to some of this aspect of what's mine. My friend uh, Saeed is running a project called Shisha, uh, like the 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 uh, flavored tobacco um, in the Middle East. Shisha Shisha Finance and and I like what he's doing in DeFi. They just passed their audit 100%. So I'm super, super stoked for them. And, and they're going to create an EFT for NFTs. I know that's like, how many, how many acronyms can we throw at each other? But I think that's a really cool play. And the way they're going about it has a level of adult in the room. That's good. Um, there's some cool augmented and virtual reality projects and, and studios that I'm involved with that I'm supporting so that they understand how they're going to be able to onboard into this system. Josh, you're aware of Proper Mythos and Arabian Prince and, and those studios that are part of that overall project. And that that's pretty cool. I and mean, honestly, there's so many cool things there because they have games and animation and a whole bunch of things that they're working on. And again, rather him tell you himself about that. And then the final one I think is important is uh, something that has to do with, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, uh, they have like these several goals about eradicating poverty and human slavery and, you know, feeding the world, et cetera. Really the important goals that if you don't solve them, humanity's probably not going to do very well. And, and dystopian kind of movies will kind of be the truth if you don't kind of deal with these, these sustainable development goals. We can't sustain as humanity. And I like what they're doing um, the project, uh, you know, that's related to it is Give Nation, and I, I think you know they gamified the world in this NFT space. But they're they're trying to teach kids financial literacy, saving, but also philanthropy. So this idea of you actually get when you give, and so I like these kind of aspects of if you could start using these technologies to enable behaviors, you have this overall story that could be told that people can create their own architecture that we don't need to give them just the architecture. So those are examples of projects that I, I really, uh, I can see having um, real promise because like you guys, probably the same thing. I look at the teams, I look at the people and I wonder, you know, is, is this person going to follow through? Is this person worried about their reputation? Should, you know, things not get followed through with. And then of course, looking at their past, how much have they failed? I want to look for failures but also success, of course. But I want to look at, is this person really a learning machine or are they just kind of connecting to this person because it looks good and it's nice vanity and stuff like that. So those are the type of, of projects though. Dude, it's so interesting, right? Because what you see in the in the press right now, of course, is the it's 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 the Beeple stuff. Like we're talking about NBA hotshots, sure. things like that, like the the flashy stuff, right? 
and it exploded as you alluded to earlier yeah. like crazy like nothing out on the same boat we've been talking about nfts for several years you know so hot on it and could have never no matter how passionate we were about it projected that it would just rise so quickly you know but there are all these value adds i think that, that we haven't even talked about i think internally that really elevate the well-being of humanity right uh that can come through this ecosystem that's developing but we're not hearing about those projects at all right now because all the flashy stuff is over here yeah you know but that's a really good point it's really cool i hadn't even spent much time thinking about that but uh i'm gonna i'm gonna take a look at those because that is so interesting and i think you're right that tons of value there yeah yeah i think it you know, i love the idea of people learning things without being preached at so it's like if kids can learn but they're not necessarily in school and that you know that that space that basically says, Hey, pay your dues and learn this and whatever. But it's actually like, this is useful. And, and Oh, by the way, it feels good that we're helping each other out because not because you're trying to be, I don't know, perfect or a good boy or a good girl. It's, it's more about what kind of society and community are you trying to create? And man, blockchain has that promise, whether people want to, you know, down whatever parts of it and representations that come out because of the, some of the things that are happening, I understand where they're coming from, but I also understand it has a real, like this, this idea of mine is probably the subject that we all should be discussing all the time so that people start to understand. It's not just like, because you got your Prius in your front, front, uh, you know, in, in your driveway. Right. So, so there's someone listening to this podcast that's in the educational world or the gaming space. And they're thinking, look, gamification of education and gamification of rewards in games has been around for over a decade. Yeah. What, what, what is it that NFT adds to the conversation? What is the value add here? Or is this just simply those industries crossing over to other industries and NFT is just the, the word of the day to describe what's been going on for the last decade? Great question. Again, I mean, you remember the kind of the masterclass I put together regarding the illities of what, what makes a blockchain an NFT. One of them is interoperability, right? So this is when I, why I began the story with the WhatsApp kind of idea of we can totally interoperate in systems all over the world. Well, the same thing goes. Yes, gamification, education, that's a long time. Maybe it's always 2000 years back. I mean, there's, there's of course, I mean, life in, in a way is a game. But rewards and behaviors, what do you reward with? Oh, gift cards for the local pizza place or whatever. And there's all kinds of ways to reward people. But that is so stuck here. And so this provincial way of thinking, I mean, don't know where you guys were raised, but you know where I was raised, our football team would play in our city. And the city next to us, which was seven miles away, they were, they were, they were, they sucked, right? We hated them. You know, it's like this rivalry. And because of this provincialism, there was no interoperability about how, hey, wow, yeah, we're going to compete, but there's co-opetition too. We can cooperate. How do we cooperate? Well, there were no mechanisms, just like in education. There's no mechanisms for us to share these type of things. Uh, I'll give you another example that education is my passion, so you know. It's like bar none and not old school education, but how do you impart knowledge where someone gets it, can use it, and like uplifts themselves and hopefully have people around them, right? There's this, um, there's this place called the Lewis Center for Education, L-C-E-R, uh, Representative Jerry Lewis. 
one of the longtime congressmen over in in uh, Redlands, uh, in Southern California. He got, he's, he's the guy that gave me my nomination to West Point. So shout out to Jerry Lewis. Uh, yeah, and Jerry's a great wow. guy. And um, and and so this this group is it's basically a charter school. And what these kids did is they made themselves interoperable. Is what I basically boil it down to. They had this system. I forgot what the name of the project was, lacrosse or something. But they have they have NASA come to them all the time. What happened with this LCER is back in the day when radio telescopes were uncool and the government was unloading them, they said, we'll take them. And so they connected them to this charter school and through project-based learning, these kids learned how to do and look at astronomy and also physics. They got rid of all the laboratories and they had gymnasiums and they showed on screens how the physics was working. So you lived inside math, you lived inside art and you lived inside the astronomy aspect. And so what was happening is they were trying to find water on the moon. And the reason you wanna find water on the moon is you can launch interstellar operations because the moon has a lot less gravity. So if you find water on the moon, that means you make fuel. You can have bases and make fuel. So one country bombed the moon basically, there was all this debris that was there and they needed to do analysis of what was happening in the moon. Well, it's extremely expensive for NASA to be doing these data elements. These kids outsourced it. They basically crowdsourced their radio telescope. And there was a point where a PhD from NASA said, you mean to tell me that these kids, eighth, ninth, or whatever, 10th graders, all of them kind of came together, went around the world, gave control of the telescope to the Chinese, to, to South America, it's all over the place. And they were able to not see it every five minutes in data, which NASA had basically, they weren't seeing the data points. But these kids were seeing it across the board because they had become interoperable with this telescope and the capacity to do to do this. Now, that's the best gamification in, in general, because they actually were instrumental in proving water on the moon. Plus, of course, oh, they didn't even have wow. to go to college. NASA was coming over and saying, you know what? This whole idea of education and PhD, you guys have got the training that we needed to have for 20 some years that you've been playing with these radio telescopes. So my answer to you, Josh, is education is a great place for play. And if you make it interoperable, you've got the biggest game on earth. And now that's a game changer. And so if you can reward people all over the earth with things that are fun and also valuable, usable, no longer is it one team against the other. It's actually, I can use it from this city to this city, to this country, to these people, across the diversity spectrum. It's, it's, you know, you get me kind of going on this subject, but it's, it's yeah, very, very real. Takes, takes having an international pen pal to a whole new level, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, that's wild. It, it really is. Uh, it's opened my mind to this, that whole line of thinking, the, the, the value add of those programs. It's just not something that's been part of the conversation that I've been involved with personally or that I've seen. I'm sure there are companies working on this, right? But traditionally, yeah. the large organizations, nonprofits, NGOs, governments, even, you know, you talked about Nike, you know, Josh, it, it, traditionally the innovation and the disruption isn't going to come from them. They might be supporting it, but fundamentally it's probably going to come from the ground up and, you know, become part of, of those organizations through, you know, acquisition or support or platforms, right? But Man, I'm super pumped uh, right after this. I'm going to be researching companies that are making moves on this front, man. It's really, really cool. Yeah, this is great foundational stuff, too, for the podcast. 
you know, just giving people a very strong foundation on what all's underlying the hype, yeah. uh, I think is a good way to put it. Yeah. The hype has, everything has its purpose, but you know, what I want to make sure is though, as the adults in the room, that we don't pull people into these things that are, you know, probably worse than beating babies. I mean, someone is going to be truly left holding. Yeah. I think of it as the, the, uh, what do you call it? The musical chairs. There's a point where the music stops and you're holding this thing going, what am I holding? And so if I have people asking the question, what is mine? What, what, what right am I really being given here? This license, what does this license mean? Wait, what is non exclusive only used on your platform and only be able to, it's like, what, well, that's not mine, right? This is an example of your Top Shots example, right? It's like, that's what it is. That's kind of what the license says. And, and it has all, all kinds of other things basically saying, you don't really own this, <laughs> you know? And yeah. then I own it, I own it. And like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> it, it, it's such an interesting contrast to this idea that Bitcoin is the store of value that you do own, right? And then a lot of the, with the ICO craze, you have all these companies that yeah. are giving you coins that are not directly tied to equity in the company. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, NBA Top Shots, end of the day, what you own is um, a agreement with NBA Top Shots that this is what you possess based on their agreement with the NBA. But it, it's definitely several layers of separation between actually owning the moment and um, owning, you know, a, a, a sort of a cutout of the moment. The question is how comfortable is society with that? And if we're not comfortable, what are we going to do about it? Yeah, it, it is. How comfortable are you? Um, how the, the thing is, is, as you know, there are these techniques that people use to manipulate people like FOMO, like fear of missing out. And so it's not that I stand against people using these techniques as much as I just want to educate people. I, again, I'm not here to fight a system that wants to live. I'm here to educate so that people are making better decisions maybe, or saying, hey, I made this decision and I own this decision. Cool, you know what? Your decision, right? But I don't want them to get caught into the world of, I'm buying something and I have no clue what I'm buying. I'm just throwing it and I'm thinking I could sell it. I'm doing it, but I have no, what blockchain, what's that? cryptography I have what you know and so that's the kind of thing that I want to make sure that in my world around my friends or my community that you know seeing that as kind of like uh, uh, you know just saying hey let's make sure that we we uh, we have our feet flat on the ground this is an exciting moment there's so much to do with this but don't try to make you, you've heard of the blockchain toothbrush right I have not. Yeah, there's this, but when the ICO craze was there, it was like, it was, it was a saying of blockchain toothbrush because everybody was saying, and it's blockchain. It's like, okay, so could you have used cloud? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Gonna, so why are you using blockchain? Well, blockchain. <laughs> Do you know what blockchain is? And you're like, well, yeah, our CTO. Talk to our CTO. It's like, okay, great. We're having this conversation, aren't we? So I would say that that's my interest is, is making sure that people around me and especially people on the projects that I support or support me, that we're not fools running off, off a cliff, right? So I think it's time to kind of move on to the next segment that we have planned for this uh, episode. You have a segment. Cool. All right. <laughs> got some, we've got some 
interesting questions to ask you. No pressure. All right. In the spirit of James Lipton and Inside the Actors Studio, we had with oh, these cool. 10 questions together, quick hitters, one okay. word, few words, whatever you feel, you know, okay. get to know you a little better, you know, some interesting little tidbits. So um, you ready? Okay. Yeah, guys. All right. I'm here. Totally so, unprepared. But let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the first thing you ever purchased with your own money? Well, probably a pocket knife. Um, yeah, probably like a, a Swiss army knife or something like that. Yeah. What's the first thing you ever sold for your own money? Probably a silver coin. Oh, yeah. Interesting. What is the last thing you purchased? <laughs> last thing I purchased? Um, probably gasoline. I don't know. Um, okay. Yeah, probably gas, man. All right. Yeah. And for a car or for ether? A car. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice one. Really good. Yeah. No, no. Car is a lot cheaper than... No, sorry. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> These days, right? What is the last thing you sold? Sold? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I sold the uh, uh, Nerf guns. I had all these Nerf guns from a party and I sold it on Let Go. It was really cool. Nice. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. What, what's your most prized possession? Prized possession? Let's see. Probably my iPad, I guess. I'm looking at it right now. You know, okay. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you could obtain any purchasable item in the world, what would it be? Purchasable item in the world? Gosh, I don't, I'm not one of these guys that collect like hoard or whatever. And, and so if I could obtain any purchase, let's table that and let's see if I can let it, you know, percolate, but I don't know if there's anything I would, I don't, nothing comes to mind right now. No, it's all right. It's all good. So shifting gears a smidge, if you could pass on one trait of yours to the next generation, what would it be? Oh man, oh, there'd be two, but let's see, which one would it be? I think the verve for life, just a, just ravenous curiosity, right? Until yeah. I die, I just want to, I want to, I want to just poke holes in what I know and just continue to learn. Nice. Uh, if you could eliminate one trait of yours from the next generation, what would it be? <laughs> I'd say fear, but then I'd probably walk right into a meat uh, a thing. Let's see. <laughs> um, waiting when my gut says go. Hmm. Yeah. What did you do just before joining us for the podcast? I was on uh, another, not a podcast, but I was on a call with a dear friend in London on WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah. There you go. What are you going to do next after the podcast? I'm actually working out with uh, one of the studios, their, their issues of understanding how the old world of copyrights doesn't match to the new world of NFTs and helping them understand what's theirs and so that they can pass it on. So I'm going to help them through the copyright process as it relates to the technical. Right on. Well, that was question 10. Um, do you want to circle back to your purchasable item or do you want to let it lie there? Um, you can come back even later if you want. Yeah, yeah guys, I, we're gonna, I don't have anything. It's all good. You sure right you on. don't want to purchase those Nerf guns back? 
<laughs> Dude, second thoughts. You guys want to have some fun, especially West Point, Jeff. You have that background. It's like, yeah, come on. I had like 10 of those guns and that was sweet fun. You just yeah. go off in a field and just do your thing. I mean, <laughs> it piqued my interest for sure. It, I feel like I saw an ball. article about like, there's some, some guy that's like known as like the Nerf gun, like, yeah. you know, Michael Jordan or whatever. So I like this, this last week, I think I saw that. It's so right. random, right? Should, uh, do you have to run Keith right now? I have, I have a commitment in two minutes. Yes. Okay. All right. We, we can, uh, we can do the hot topics amongst ourselves and, uh, and uh, do that, do the outro. It's interesting. Yeah, we, we talked about it. We thought that might happen sometime. So, yeah, cool. I, you know, I pointed this one out. I think that John Cleese's uh, rendering of the Brooklyn Bridge on his iPad, that, that man is so brilliant. Just so freaking. And he's a scientist training, right? So he is, he's got, he's got the background of really thinking it through. But, you know, there's nothing like a comedian that teaches you a lesson where they're not sitting there, put it in your face, right? And, and at the same time, he's willing to take the 60 some million dollars and give it to charity or whatever. So it's not like he's trying to say, you know, I would never take your money, right? He, he's, so John Cleese's, top, that's a hot topic. I think that's a really cool piece of news that happened this yeah, recently. Man. Awesome. Well, we'll let you go to your next thing that you got on. Is there any last thing you want to say before you go or? You know, it was an honor to, to hang out with you guys. Jeff, it's the first time I've met you, Ethan and Josh. I've gotten to know you a little bit, but I really appreciate you guys taking the time. I don't get to talk about this all the time. And, and so, and so that's, that's really great. Good great hanging having out. you, Keith, man. Great to, great to talk. Really inspiring. I appreciate it. Wow. Thank you very much. Thanks, Keith. Bye. Thanks so much. That'd My pleasure. Well. All right. So, all right, guys. So we transition to hot topics. Let's, uh, let's, let's do let's, it. Let's chat about what's in the news here. So, I found out recently that A16Z is, in, is investing 23 million in OpenSea. Um, it's very interesting to see what A16Z is doing because they're always doing things that tend to be successful or, or at least cutting edge. Um, had you guys heard about this? I saw it. Yeah, I saw it come up. Um, and though I didn't research it, I was curious as to how much OpenSea has raised to date that's a pretty big round I'm thinking it's a um probably series series b i'm guessing so i'm assuming they have some other funds in the door already but i am excited to see what OpenSea does with it that's for sure and they're also invested in coinbase right pretty much all the i believe most of the big companies that, that we all know of so Coinbase being a huge one, which obviously is going public next month. So I think they're pretty, pretty excited about that. Right? That's a, they're going to realize probably some pretty significant returns. Yeah. So I'm learning more about it now. It looks like there are some angels that got into this too, including Mark Cuban and Novel Ravikant. So mm. these guys at OpenSea have a pretty, pretty kick butt team behind them now to, uh, move into the future. It'll be interesting to see um, how that relates to what Jack Dorsey is up to. You know, guys like Mark Cuban and Dorsey and, and that entire crew, or of course, the funds themselves, you know, keeping an eye on who they're investing in is always a valuable strategy for determining your own investment approach. So we're not giving investment advice on this podcast, but is, is the Coinbase IPO interesting to anybody? Or is that too late in the game or... 
Oh, man, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to a lot of people, right? You're talking about, you know, a multi-billion dollar organization that um, is the first step for pretty much, you know, the majority, I'm certain, of of people just getting into crypto for their first, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum purchase or even altcoin purchase for for a lot of them. So, yeah, I I think it's huge, man. And they're going to continue to evolve, you know, over time. I, I, I think the timing of that news with Tesla agreeing to accept Bitcoin is kind of fascinating. You got to wonder, you got to wonder about the timing there, because fundamentally, that's a proof of concept that Coinbase is much bigger than just a, a cryptocurrency exchange or, you know, custodian, right? They hold the money that you can use to buy a Tesla and other things. If you can buy a Tesla, why can't you buy a house with cryptocurrency? And I, I, I don't know. I have to wonder about the timing there. It's pretty, pretty interesting timing. Yeah, well, I think they're delaying, right? They were originally going to go public in uh, this month, in March, pushed it back a smidge, a number of things, you know, I think probably at play. Of course, there's just administrivia, right, that goes into mm. going public. But then there's also timing. I, I think generally speaking, they're in right the right time here. When you look at the crypto market in general and where things are going, it can change on a dime as we know. But I think we're in this bull market overall. And that's a great time to go public if your entire business is built on the back of crypto, right? March has been a pretty bad month for crypto historically. And this month was a bit of a wash overall compared to previous Marches. So I think when you look at the how many green uh, candle months of crypto there have been recently, and I think it's a, it's a great time for the Coinbase IPO. I think uh, they couldn't pick the better time. Yeah, it speaks to their prescience, you know, that this is when they're doing their IPO for sure. Yeah. And I think, dude, I think Brian Armstrong, right? That's his name, the uh, CEO. I think I saw today he has a $16 billion stake based on the the pricing that they're estimating. That's huge. That's huge at IPO for someone like that, that percentage ownership. Pretty sick, man. Good for him, you know. So I looked at this website, masterworks.io. It actually popped up. So lately I'll just, you know, kind of prepping for the podcast here. I'll just search NFT on Google. I'll search the news section, kind of see what pops up. And masterworks.io popped up an ad. And I don't even know if I had seen ads uh, when I searched NFT before. And then I thought, oh, well, this is an NFT related company, but it's actually not. Their kind of tagline is talking about uh, digital assets are highly speculative. Invest in paintings by Banksy and Basquiat. So what they want, what they're doing, and I suppose have been doing for a while, is actually buying up works of of great art and selling selling fractional shares in them that you can trade, which is which is kind of interesting. And it's interesting that they're positioning themselves as like an anti NFT, and they're not jumping on the wagon of saying, let's, let's use NFTs or blockchain technology to, to make this happen. Man, I look at that and I think that's blockbuster to Netflix, man, like great to, to, to build a company, I think on the base of fractional ownership. It's so cool. Rally RD is one that has tons of stuff, including art and cars and collectibles of all kinds. And undoubtedly they're going to be moving into uh, also holding NFTs and, and enabling fractional ownership of NFTs, right? To 
dig your heels in kind of like that and make that part of your core value proposition feels like a mistake to me. I would guess that that they'd have to back off of that at some point and also handle NFTs. It just makes sense. Like when you think about value creation and fulfilling a need or solving a problem, right? The, the bigger need I think that the customers have is I want this thing, not I don't want this other thing, right? Like it, it, they, they want NFTs, they want physical art or to own a piece of it. Great, let's satisfy that need. Let's not say, well, we're only gonna service people that just want physical art. We're just not going to touch NFTs. Like if I'm a customer, I can be like, just, no, I don't want to buy your NFTs. Fine. But I do want to buy your physical stuff. I lose nothing as a company to offer both. And I probably lose a lot by not offering one of them, especially with the direction things are going. Tons of companies are working on, you know, fractional ownership of NFTs. And it just, it feels like it's a big miss if you don't at least factor that into your roadmap. Yeah. They're sell. it's interesting. They're selling like fine art as a stable investment, which I think, I don't know, right? I haven't invested too much in fine art, but that's kind of interesting to position it thus. It, it, people, people are just buying a lot of different things, you know, these days investing in a lot of different ways. I think it's also interesting that while looking at their website, they, they have over 40 plus assets, but they've only actually had one exit, which is um, a 32% net, which Sounds like they had a lot of discretion over um, since it was Banksy and um, his, his stuff is very popular and they wanted to sort of get that exit. Do, who bought it? How does that person related to them? I, I don't really know. There's a lot of learning still to be had with their model and, and they have the secondary market to exit earlier within their, their own um, portal, it sounds like, among their investors. So I think... There's just this trend towards primary, secondary, tertiary markets that that's interesting and related to what they're doing as, as well. But but certainly you combine the sort of unknowns with their model with the space of NFTs and how NFTs are going to change the art world. It seems pretty risky to me. Um, I, I wouldn't know which how much I would be comfortable with going in deep on on physical art with um, the NFT world sort of right in the throes of, of a big uptick. Right. Behind the scenes, they're probably ready to shift on a dime, but just sort of playing it as it is in the moment. It's interesting, though, to, to think of like getting experience investing in fine art by buying just fractions of things just to watch how the value changes. And it seems that it adds maybe what you might call like liquidity or, you know, a sense of the current value of that thing. If it's being traded among multiple people, they're trading the shares at certain values, even though it's sort of owned by a single entity, then the next person that buys it, they can see that price movement up to the point that they purchase the entire artwork. And maybe there's a sense of, of more continuity of the price movement. For sure. Ooh. Jeff, did you know that contemporary art has increased in price 13.6% over the last 25 years compared to S&P, which has done about eight, almost 9%, and gold 6.5%, and housing 4% over that same time? Yeah, it's uh, um, especially in bull markets, right? Those, those assets, alternative assets, right, they call them, those uh, tend to do pretty well. So, uh, you know, art being one of them, you know, and it's really what we've seen not over the last 25 years, but uh, here over the last decade, basically. 
So yeah, not surprised at all. But when you start putting too many eggs in that basket, you start to, to create real risk in your portfolio, right? It should be a relatively small percentage of it. Um, I would put it in the speculative category, maybe not as crazy as, you know, certain altcoins, for example, in crypto that are brand new, but certainly more speculative and subject to um, volatility. Less speculative than Hogecoin, but, um, but right. beyond that, who knows, right? Totally. I thought, you know, related to that, I think it's interesting what our guest today brought up, Keith, around this portfolio of NFTs. I think that it's just another example, um, this index fund for NFTs. I think, you know, people are going to be looking to sort of spread risk out. It's a moving target because what is risk in such a fluid world? But the idea of having a portfolio or a collection, I think, is, is, a, is a common theme here. Yeah, for sure. So John Cleese is selling the Brooklyn Bridge, right? That's he's kind of making a new joke out of an old joke. And uh, is this just another headline that people can take advantage of? Is that kind of what's going on with John Cleese, or how much of that is going on right now? Because yeah, <laughs> the answer is it's going on everywhere. It's going on everywhere, brother. But but that in and of itself, like the whole the message behind it, the the tongue in cheek kind of poking fun at the whole thing approach. That is what makes that dang NFT he created valuable. And it's going to be valuable. It's going to maintain real value because it's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say it's a, a first of its kind in that it's kind of poking fun at NFT a little bit. But as far as this much exposure and at this moment in time when NFT is such a part of the conversation, hell yeah. And that thing, I would want that. I would definitely pay something meaningful to own that and have that and be part of the provenance of that uh, NFT. That's cool. It, it, it's like, it, that's what it's about when it comes to collectibles. It's what collectibles are all about, right? There's some something that makes it special to you and a group of other people that are passionate about it. It's fun. There's also something interesting, I think Jack Dorsey did when with his first tweet, he did at least a portion of the proceeds went to charity. So what's, what's really cool that some people are doing is they're attracting attention to a charity or some cause that they think is really special. And, you know, who cares if there's an NFT attached to it or not, if the NFT causes, you know, people to donate on a much, much grander scale, then go for it. All the better, right? You're creating value, capturing some part of that value and directing it places where you think are, are meaningful. For some people, it's just their pocket for other folks. You know, there's some real meaningful causes that they contribute to in their life. And I think that's an example or a couple examples right? Dorsey, Cleese that are, are doing things that actually um, capture the moment, but also help people in really meaningful ways. On the on the topic of John Cleese, it makes me think of, um, gosh, what's his name? The comedian from The Jerk. Steve, Steve Martin. Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he's, he's in comedy, but I also know that he's a relatively avid art collector. Um, it's, well, first of all, the, the Christie's auction of the Beeple was monumental in you know, sort of shifting the world of art, but it's, you know, art is, art is traditionally traditional and cutting edge at the same time. But there's certainly a lot of folks, you just go look around who are in the traditional art world who are probably very resistant to NFTs, just like anybody else might be in the, in the common populace. But there's been shifts in what is art and what does art mean? And you know, how do you make art and what is the value in it 
across the centuries, you know, and I feel like this is just the beginning of a new wave of, of how people appreciate uh, aesthetics, you know? Yeah, we're seeing it, right? Well, we say when, when, when we're launching, you know, businesses, right? Like, how do you prove that there's value, right? You can interview people and survey 150 people and say, yes, I'm going to, I'll buy that thing. That sounds awesome, man. You know, or any number of metrics you can put together. You, maybe you like something or you, you, know, you think other people will like it. They bought something similar. But the fact is, is the only way, you know, for certain is that somebody gives you money for the thing. You know, that's, that's how, you know, you know, so I think there's, that's just the reality of it. And we're seeing it everywhere right now. Like people are doing that and there might be bubbles here or there and all that, but fundamentally there's, there's value being created where there wasn't value before. And I think we're just going to become more and more entrenched in a digital world as time goes on. And this is just the first wave. Like it's the tip of the iceberg as far as the you know, public awareness is concerned and, and, you know, a massive number of projects that are starting to chop away at our old beliefs and start to, to you know, create new beliefs about what the future is going to look like. It's great for the projects that were a couple of years ahead of their times too. Like, you know, I'm looking forward to episodes where we talk to some folks that were future tellers that were doing some building in the NFT space two, three years ago. And for them, it's like, of course this is happening, right? So um, we're going to get a lot of great perspectives on this podcast. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Um, maybe before we wrap up, just a quick reflection on this, uh, a digital house selling for half a million dollars. Um, uh, I guess where does I go- it, Does it have a hot tub? Does it have? I don't <laughs> even know if it does have a hot tub. <laughs> I can-, I can I can bring it up on this screen share. It kind of looks like a relatively modest house to me. So I don't know in terms of square footage. Uh, so I don't know. I just think it's fascinating. What uh, what are we looking at here? Can you guys hear the audio? No, no. I'll, I'll make sure you can hear the audio. Let me uh, share the audio. Okay. And this is interesting because I've noticed there's a lot of things that are people are putting up for a specific number, you know, and who bought it, who knows if anybody actually is buying it, but they're making news just because they asked for a certain amount. This was actually purchased. I don't know by who, but. chairs don't even look that comfortable <laughs> i don't know about that one man come on come on okay. what did it sell it actually sold what was the do we know what it sold for it's 500 some odd thousand dollars that was the actual and sale price that wow. you know i didn't do a, a ton of research on the background but that's what it says yes and okay. and i look at it and i go do i sit in that verge first of all why do you make virtual furniture that looks like real furniture if you can't even really sit on it or feel what it feels like to sit on it. And then on top of that, why make it look uncomfortable to sit on? <laughs> you know? Maybe there's a whole, whole uh, yeah, there's a whole set of values here in the, in the multiverse that we're not privy to yet. But 
Yes. I don't know, and like people, you, you look, if I think if you actually have like the multiverse that you've created and there are a number of different worlds that are out there where you can buy real estate, you know, whether uh-huh. it's like layered on to the real world here, of which right. there are many, you can buy like GPS coordinates or acres of things or a completely digital space. Once we're able to create like interoperability there between those universes within the multiverse or whatever you call it, I think there, there's something there, right? To the value of real estate. It, it goes back to Second Life and the Linden dollar and, and the real estate that was being purchased in storefronts and events back in the early 2000s. But that shit's real, man. Like that, that's real. And, you know, just like land in a one particular country, a third world country, maybe that doesn't have a big economy to support it might not be worth much, right? But land in Venice, you know, California is worth a ton. I think that would be the same thing in in the multiverse. And if it's interoperable, again, you can kind of move from one to the next, a little bit of what Keith was talking about. Maybe you, you have this uh, currency of whatever type, whether it's an asset or, you know, a legit currency that you can exchange and move between these worlds, man. I think it's it's likely to, to go that route. It, it gets wild when you think about you make upgrades to your house. Um, can you amortize those over over twenty five years? Right? <laughs> like, uh, no, I, I didn't see like uh, a wa- uh, like a water slide going to that pool, but I feel like that would be a good upgrade. <laughs> and then you know, if you start growing, you know, you plant some virtual lemon trees and start selling them to the community, and you get a little dividend on them. What happens then? Or you run a a little cottage kitchen operation making cookies in the virtual cookies for for your community it 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 really messes with your mind when you start thinking about the possibilities yeah unlimited man it's crazy well clearly she's pretty savvy the person that made it you know because she's getting some press around it somebody paid something for it and uh and there's certainly, like you said, Jeff, there's sort of things that are going on behind the scenes that w- we don't necessarily know about and one thing that's coming up for me now with like, these high priced things, people paying a lot for something is a is also kind of a, a flag to human beings to say, hey, pay attention, right? And it doesn't always lead to something that's you know meaningful, but it's it's something that we start to pay attention to, like when people start paying higher prices for things, and that's an interesting facet of all this is that uh, someone paying for it is not, in many cases, not just paying for it to own it, but sometimes they're paying that price in order to show to other people that they see that value in it and to bring attention to it so that people start to look closer at it and maybe discover the value underneath. Yeah, I think you're right, man. So cool. All right. So should we should we wrap this one up? Let's wrap it. Okay. Well, this has been not another, but the the first episode of the Edge of NFT podcast. With your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being with us, guys. If you like this and you want to get more of it, please subscribe and share what we're doing with your friends. Spread the word. Spread the love. Yeah, and rate us. Rate us on iTunes. That's a great way for, for people to find out about the project.